Would you please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 as we continue in this few weeks of joy and focus on ministry. Last week in ordination of Leo Paris to gospel ministry. This week, the installation of deacons to serve the church. Next week, the ministry fair uh, to strengthen our commitment of service to one another and to our community. And then the following week uh, will be our mission fund offering in which we are hoping and praying that we will reach a goal of $40,000 to advance the gospel beyond Drexel Hill to advance the gospel through the support of our, uh, our church planting resident, uh, Joel and uh, Samora, uh, as they prepare to go to Jamaica. To, uh, we want also to uh, gather funds for short-term missions, and we want to start gathering funds uh, for a building fund as well. So be praying about that, and in connection with all of that, uh, it seemed fitting uh, this afternoon in the time that remains for, for us to hear together the, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 16 and beginning in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell or the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father. And then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming 
in his kingdom. Father, may you bless your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what would you, what would you think if I said to you, I'm into Carson Wentz, but not into the Eagles. There's a lot of things I know you would say, you're, you're, you would say to me personally about that. But just say it's somebody else, not Tim Shorey saying that. Uh, somebody comes up to you and says, I'm into Carson Wentz, but I'm, I'm not into the Eagles. What would you think about that? Or if I said... I'm into Martin Luther or John Calvin, but not into the Protestant Reformation. You say, well, how can that be? Or, I'm into Dr. Martin Luther King, but not into the Civil Rights Movement. As you hear those statements, you you realize that there is something inconsistent. There is something that doesn't fit. Carson Wentz and the Eagles go together. Martin Luther and the Reformation go together. Dr. Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement go together. But here's the irony. There are millions of people in our world today who say something like this, I am into Jesus, but not into the church. One thing this text makes clear is that Jesus Christ and the church go together. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus lived. This is why Jesus died. This is why Jesus rose. This is why Jesus reigns. This is why Jesus is coming back. This is why Jesus is preparing a place called heaven. This is what Jesus is doing right now. He is building His church. And yet there are many today who somehow separate Jesus from His church. And, and in some ways I understand it. I get it. On the, on the one hand, I think one reason why people separate it is because being into Jesus and not into His church is a nice way of avoiding commitment. It's a nice way of avoiding the, the hard stuff of the Christian life. It's a nice way of avoiding responsibility. But on the other hand, I can understand it because, well, the church is a very messy thing. The church is so, so imperfect. It is so flawed. It is so messy. Sin happens and stuff happens and leaders blow it and people can come and go for all the wrong reasons. I mean, it can be tough to be a part of the church. And so, people say, well, I'm into Jesus, but not into the church in order to avoid the mess. Not realizing, of course, that they're just carrying their own mess with them. But the reality is that to be into Jesus, biblically speaking, means in practice, in reality, day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, if we're into Jesus, we must be into the church. Because Jesus is into the church. How much is He into the church? Ephesians 5 
Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Jesus loves the church, and if I am called to be like Jesus, then I too must love the church. So we look at this text. I have a simple point to make from it, and then I'll open it up in different ways. As we look at this text, I would summarize it like this. We are, we are all called, we are all called to join Jesus in the building of His church. We are all called to join Jesus in the building of His church through the self-sacrifice of our lives. We are all called to join Jesus in the building of His church through the self-sacrifice of our lives. If we look at this text, we find Jesus within just a very short time of His death. Just a few days, maybe a couple of weeks before His death. And in verse 21, He tells us that hard times were about to happen. The, the, the ordeal of His passion and His suffering and His death were about to occur. And so He asked His disciples, who do people say that I am? What are people saying about me? And they tell him that people have all kinds of answers for that question, and none of them are the right answers. And so Jesus puts it to his disciples, who more times than not got things wrong. But on this occasion, they got it right. He says, well, who do you say that I am? By the way, side note, that's probably the most important question you will ever be asked. Who do you say Jesus is? Your answer determines your life and your destiny. Peter answers. This time he gets it right. In verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a statement! Jesus goes on to say, you got that one right, Peter. Peter, you've gotten a lot of other things wrong. And in fact, he gets things wrong in about 38 seconds from now. But this one he got right. Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. This is, this is joy. You have received joy because this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. This wasn't your own insight. This wasn't your own discernment. This wasn't because you were smarter than everyone else. This is because the Father has revealed this to you. You are right, Peter. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, I am the one you just declared. And then Jesus, in verse 18, gives to us one of the most magisterial, glorious announcements ever made. Look at it. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's two promises for the price of one. I, I who am Jesus the Christ, I who am the Son of the living God, 
I will build my church. 2,000 years ago he said that. I, I will build my church. And promise number two, the gates of hell, the Greek word is Hades, probably referring to the, the place of, of the dead, the realm of the dead, the, the gates of death, the, the gates of all evil and death and ruin, not even death can stop it. I will build my church and the realm of evil, the realm of death, the realm of corruption, the realm of ruin, Hades cannot prevail against my church. And Jesus has been building ever since. He has been building ever since. He is ever and always actively building. We look around us and, and we see suffering going on. But He is building His church. We, we look around us and we see adversity happening, but He is building His church. We, we see a culture that is crumbling, but He is building His church. We see persecution increasing in this country and around the world, but He is building His church. We, we see worldliness abounding and, and, and taking on all kinds of different forms, but He is building his church. We, we see wars increasing and abounding across the planet, but He is building His church. We see hurricanes and earthquakes and diseases spreading, but He is building His church. He is advancing. He is sending out mission workers and church planters and men and women who have the Spirit of God in them, who have the Gospel in their lips and have the Spirit in their hearts. And He's winning new followers, new believers every single day. He is building His church. That's what Jesus has been doing for the last 2,000 years. And what this text tells us is that we are called, we who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we are called to work with Him in building His church. He starts, for example, in verses 18 and 19, where he says, I, I tell you, Peter, you're, uh, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He is saying to Peter, and later on in chapter, I think it's 19 he's, or 18, he says the same thing to all the apostles. He's saying this to the church. He's saying it to leaders of the church. You have, you have the keys of the kingdom. You're the ones through the gospel who can open the door for people to enter into the kingdom of God. I'm going to build my church through your witness. I'm going to build my church as you go out and spread the gospel. And then he expands this church building workforce in verse 24 where he, he says, beyond the twelve disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here he's saying, I'm going to build my church and you twelve disciples and church leaders, you're going to be a part of it. And now he says, now if anyone else wants in, if you want to be a part of this, this great 
church building work, if you want to be a part of, frankly, the greatest thing going, if you want to be in, then you need to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. So, as we look at this text, we see that Jesus is building His church and He's calling on us to build with Him what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 3, be co-workers and co-builders with Christ. So here's the question, how do we do that? What has to happen in our minds and hearts if we're going to build with Jesus? His church. Can I, can I give you five answers to that? Give them as quick as I can. Number one, we need to celebrate our certainty. We need to celebrate our certainty. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, has promised to build His church. And He has promised that the gates of Hades or death cannot prevail against the church. He has promised that He will build His church and nothing can stop it. And if we're going to join forces, if you will, with Jesus, if we're going to join our hands to this great work, we have to celebrate that certainty. We win. The church will get built. His purposes will not This is important for us, friends, because we live in a time where there's all kinds of discouraging reports going around. You read the news and you say, how many of you have seen headlines about religion is, is falling in our country and in our culture? Well, you know, that's true in that churches and places where the gospel is not being preached where the Word is not believed to be the Word of God, those places are decreasing. But the reports are showing that where the Gospel is being preached, where there is a faithful witness for Christ in churches, those churches are holding steady and growing. Because Christ will build His church. I don't know if you're aware, it's hard to really track how many new converts to Christ there are every day, but you see different reports. One source says that there are 2.7 million new believers every year. That's not bad. That's about 7,400 a day. It's about 308 an hour. But another source suggests that those numbers are way too low. One source says that the Bible-believing Christianity, and this particular source emphasized that they were going after really Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in Christianity, has grown by more than 300 million in the past 10 years. That's over... 30 million a year. That's 82,000 a day. That's 3,424 per hour. So since we started worshiping this afternoon, 
there have been over 4,000 converts to Christ around the world. I will build my church. We live in a time where radical Islam is on the attack and it seems as if it's spreading everywhere. And yet, according to one site, there have been somewhere between 2 to 7 million Muslims who have come to faith in Jesus in the last 20 years. If we take even a middle number there, 4.5 million, that's 225,000 per year. That's 616 every day. One Islamic site reports that 6 million Muslims are converting to Christ every year. That comes to 16,000 every day. And we're not talking about conversions at the end of the barrel of a gun. We're talking about conversions through the power of the Gospel. We are talking about conversions through Gospel truth and neighbor love. Let us celebrate our certainty. Christ will build His church and nothing can stop it. Second, we need to activate our authority. We need to activate our authority. Verses 18 and 19 tell us that that we have authority. We have the keys. We, We have through our witness, we have through our gospel witness, we have authority to to open up heaven to those who don't know Jesus yet. You you want to find a way to 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 breathe or or have breathed into your witness a, a, a fresh sense of boldness and courage. Think about this. Christ will build His church and He's given you the keys. He's given us the authority. He's given us the opportunity to help that happen, to help make that happen through our witness. Every time you share Jesus with somebody else, a key is offered to somebody. Every time that happens, the door of opportunity is open to somebody. We need to activate that authority. We need to be those who day in and day out, week in and week out, are bearing witness of Christ. There's a world out there for whom the, the, the joys of heaven are now currently, the door is locked They don't know the truth. They don't know the Gospel. They don't know Jesus. They don't know that one that we sang about earlier. They don't know that one who hung on the cross. They don't know that one who earned their salvation. They don't know that you can be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. They don't know it. And they'll only know it if you give them the keys. If you open the door. If you tell them. Tell them about Jesus. We need, we need to celebrate our certainty. We need, to el- uh, we need to activate our authority. Third, we need to elevate our priority. Did you notice in verses 21 and through 23 how Peter went from making perhaps the grandest statement of all time, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to pulling a massive blunder. 
I, I, I read about Peter, and I really, truly, sincerely take comfort. <laughs> I mean, have, have you ever done this kind of thing? Literally in a matter of seconds? Gone from clearly seeing the truth to making some kind of idiotic statement? <laughs> Peter says, says, you're the Christ. You're, you're the Son of the living God. And then, I don't know, 32 seconds, he's rebuking Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. I said, what are you thinking, Jesus? No, no you got it wrong, Jesus. <laughs> I, I take comfort here. I am similarly inconsistent, foolish. At the heart of Peter's blunder here, is that he's got his eyes on the wrong priority. At the heart of this blunder is that he is, in Jesus' words, setting his mind on the things of man when he needed to set his mind on the things of God. In other words, Jesus is saying to him, Peter, you need to to elevate the right priority in your life. We need to get first things first. In the words of Colossians, we need to set our mind on things above. We need to realize that what matters is not that we make money, but that we make money for the glory of Christ and the good of His church. What matters is not that we raise strong families, but that we raise strong families for the glory of God and for the good of His church. What matters is not that we give our kids every single opportunity for fun and education and career and success, but that we give them whatever opportunities they need to become forces for the glory of God and the good of the church. What matters is not that we create cozy little family havens so eventually uh, as grandparents, we can have a bunch of grandkiddos around to, to cuddle. What matters is that we turn our homes into holy, happy, missional outposts for the kingdom of God. What, what matters is not that we use our gifts and abilities, but that we use those gifts and ability for the glory of Christ. In the good of His church. What matters is not that we live long and prosper, but that if God wills that we live long and prosper, we live long and prosper for the glory of Christ and for the good of His church. What matters is not that we live fulfilled and meaningful lives. What matters is that we find our fulfillment and we find our meaning in the glory of Christ and the good of His church. Peter had it all upside down. Jesus says to us, elevate the right priority, the glory of God, and the good of my church. We need to celebrate our certainty, to activate our authority, to elevate our priority, and fourth, to imitate Mount Calvary. To imitate Mount Calvary. This is the point. In verse 24, 
or verse 21, I'm sorry, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer and he's going to be killed. Later on, he tells them it's going to be on a cross. And then in verse 24, he says, And if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If in fact we are going to help build the church in our generation, we must imitate Mount Calvary. We must be those who, like Jesus, took up a cross and was willing to suffer and was willing to die, who was willing to be crucified that we might live. We need to be willing to be crucified to our own desires, to our own ease, to our own comfort, to our own anything, so that others might hear, so that the church might be advanced, so that the glory of God might happen. So, this is, this is fundamental, my friends. This is, this is at the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus. Genuine faith is not just uh, a trust in Christ and His salvation, but it's a surrender to Christ and His Lordship in our lives. It's, it's a saying. I am, it's saying, I am no longer my own. I belong to you. My life is no longer my own. I'm willing to forfeit it because as Jesus says, what does it profit me if I gain the whole world and lose my soul? If anyone would find his life, he needs to lose it. He who wants to hang on to his life, he'll end up losing it. Jesus says, come and die. Come and die. Die to yourself. Die to your ease. Die to what you want and follow me. And so... How does, that, how does that apply? Well, it's, it's all of life, really. It's all of life. Every day, all day, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, for the glory of Christ and the good of His church. In our particular moment as a church, well, it shows up in a ministry fair where uh, in order to serve Christ, we need to perhaps die to ourselves. We need to, we need to say, you know what? This isn't my favorite thing to do. Uh, but for the glory of Christ and the good of others, to spread the church. You know, I, I was thinking about the children's ministry workers. There's a good percentage of those that stood up earlier who don't have any kids. You know, the parents, they're obligated to, like Alex said, it's a co-op. You've got kids, you've got to do it. But those that are doing it that don't have any children, that is... That's sacrifice. That's commitment. That, that's, that's a little bit of cross-bearing. And we love kids, but... <laughs> yeah. It's nice being up here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's nice being up here. These are those who are taking up their crosses and following Christ for the building of the church in the little lives that have been entrusted us. It'll show up, this imitating Mount Calvary, it'll show up in two weeks as we think about a mission fund and, and we think about how do we get behind uh, the, the Baines as they prepare for this church plant in 
Jamaica? How do we support this? How do we encourage this? What kind of sacrifices are we going to be willing to make above and beyond our, our normal tithe, our normal offering? If, if we just say, you know, we give, we give in compliance with what the Bible says, we, we give a tenth, we give a tithe of our income to the Lord, but how can we go beyond that so that we can be engaged in this mission work or short-term missions or the building fund so that this can become not just an expanding mission for Risen Hope, but an abiding one, one that actually will endure into the next generation. How do we get in to that? How do we commit to that? We imitate Mount Calvary. We're, we're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to make some sacrifices. I'm going, to, I'm going to go beyond the comfortable, beyond the easy. That's true of, of all your pastors. It's, let it be true of all of us. All of us. Finally, if we are going to imitate Mount Calvary, we need to anticipate our eternity. That completes it. Five, right? We must celebrate our certainty, activate our authority, elevate our priority, imitate Mount Calvary, and anticipate our eternity. Notice verse 27. The Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Jesus is saying, eternity's coming. Reward day is coming. The day is going to come when everything you have sacrificed for me in this life, I will return to you a hundredfold. Later on in Matthew, he says to the, to the apostles, no one has ever left houses or land or family or anything when I have not returned to him a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. No matter how much you give, no matter how many sacrifices you make, Jesus will not be outgiven. Jesus will not let that be a debt that He owes to us. Jesus is going to give back a hundredfold. Jesus is going to replenish and fill and bless and make heaven absolutely, gloriously wonderful for you. Because of just who He is. That's His heart. That's His love. That's His kindness. It is true that we will not imitate Calvary unless we anticipate eternity. We will not live lives of self-denial and sacrifice unless we believe there's a day when it all comes back to us a hundredfold. Why would we? Why would you sacrifice here if there wasn't anything by way of joyful reward for it, why would you give? Jesus, uh, Paul says, we'd be of all people most foolish if there isn't an eternity, if there isn't eternal joy, eternal life, eternal reward waiting for us. But there is, because He is risen, and He is Lord, and He is reigning, and He is building His church. And nothing can stop it. And He says to us, come and be a part of it.
come and be a part of it. Whether it's at Risen Hope or some other church that's preaching the gospel, that's your choice, and God bless you. God bless you. But if you're a part of Risen Hope or are thinking about becoming a part of Risen Hope, this is what we want to be about. We want to be worshiping God and welcoming all with gospel truth and neighbor love. And we want to do that in a way that is an expanding and abiding mission for this generation and for generations to come. Let us pray that God will so stir our hearts that we will want to be all in, all in, either here or somewhere else, but somewhere. Don't be numbered among those who say you're into Jesus, but not into the church. Jesus is into the church, and if you're into him, you'll be into what he's into. Let's pray. Father, we have heard from you today. We have heard in song. We have heard in prayer. We have heard. We have heard your love in the giving of deacons to us. And we have heard your truth and your call upon our lives now through your word. Would you please give us ears? to truly hear. It may be that every single child of God, every single believer in this place will hear your voice calling deep inside and will answer that call so that in loving Christ they will learn to love your people, the church. Father, make this be a week in which we go on working with you in the building of your church. Help us to celebrate our certainty. Help us to activate our authority. Help us to be those who are bold and fearless as a lion in a world that despises you and yet is under your throne. Open doors. Unlock hearts. Open heaven to people that we meet this week through our witness and love. Now may your peace and your grace and your goodness be with us, Father, until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.